0: Here we are again, and to the best of my knowledge, we're broadcasting. I don't know which button I pushed, but... (laughs) Yeah, we didn't get to the bottom of it, did we? No, we didn't. We didn't find out what happened. Uh, You know, uh, that that was live, dear voice in my head, was it not? That was live, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Well, as I've said... Radio is not an exact science, especially when I'm involved with it. But that said, let us pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations, the hearts of the faithful, by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ. Only. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, Amen. St. Michael, the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls, Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, all right, let's let's do it. Let's go to the big book on the coffee table, and we're doing the readings for the day. Um, I shared with you yesterday about the idea of the Lamb of. I think that worked. The the idea of the Lamb of God, which I think ties the Gospel of John to the Book of Revelation pretty tightly. Um, There are those people who say, well, it has to be two different Johns. Couldn't have been well. If John the Evangelist was, in fact, a follower of John the Baptist, who was most probably involved in those apocalyptic movements that waited for the coming of the Messiah, like the Essenes, you know, we can't say they were all Essenes. In fact, it's very interesting. Uh, John Bergsma's book uh, about the Dead Sea Scrolls is Dr. John Bergsma. It's a, it's wonderful. It, it's worth reading a few times. Um, uh, that that um, it's just a masterful work. And if you want to know about the Dead Sea Scrolls and their relationship to Christianity, that would be the first go-to place, I would think. Uh, Dr. Bergs, Bergsma, B-R-G-S-M-A, Brilliant man. Um, and a pretty nice guy. I've met him. He's a really nice guy. <laughs> so, and very approachable. Uh, let's see here. Uh, so... Uh, this uh, You read the Dead Sea Scrolls, and there are apocalypses in them. An apocalypse, we generally mean uh, something that refers to the end times or the great battle. But I think I've shared with you the word apocalypse. Really, when the Greek—the the Essenes would not have called their works apocalypses. The Book of Revelation, Apocalypse, is called that because of its theme. Uh, that if a Greek-speaking Jew saw the word apocalypse, he would think of a wedding. It means the unveiling. The custom of the Jews is this, that before they go to the place where the wedding is to take place, under a canopy, the chuppah, um, the family of the bride, the family of the groom, go somewhere, they, they finalize the contract, And then the groom looks under the veil. That's a revelation, a pulling away of the veil. Uh, Calypso in Greek is, uh, Uh, is it calypto or calypso? I think it's calypto. Uh, it, It means a veiling. Brides in the ancient Israelite world were heavily veiled. And the groom looked under the veil. He removed the veil he revealed that literally has removed the veil and in greek that's an apocalypse is a removal of the veil so i asked rabbi lefkowitz why they do that so no one would pull a fast one like they did on our ancestor jacob when instead of rachel he got leah that's why so it's the truth in advertising They drink a schnapps, which, of course, uh, when Americans think schnapps, they think that peppermint, that awful peppermint stuff, but really schnapps for both Jews and Germans is any liquor, which will take the varnish off the furniture. They drink a schnapps, they go to the place of the wedding, and they have a wonderful time. Uh, (laughs) It's really something. Well, uh, the the Dead Sea sectaries, as I like to call them, because the Essenes weren't the only one, they had these these books that looked into the future and talked about the great coming battle. The reason I think that the book of Revelation that we read in the Christian scriptures is called Revelation or Apocalypse, the unveiling, the wedding, because that's the high point of the gospel. Behold, I saw the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven adorned like a bride for a husband. It's about the heavenly wedding of the Messiah and the church, the uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an apocalypse. It's an unveiling of the bride. And we think of it as, oh, it's all about the end of the world. No, it's all about the relationship of Christ and the church. It, of course, deals with the eternal battle and the ultimate battle, but it's not a book that is easy to read or interpret, but it is full of real beauty and spiritual benefit. So, that said, the Lamb of God is mentioned prominently in the book of Revelation. It's, in fact, as Dr. Hans book is called the, the 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 Supper of the Lamb, uh, The Wedding Supper of the Lamb. And this is the other book in Scripture, the Gospel of John, where he talks about the Lamb. So I, I think those people who say, no, two different authors, oh, I'm not so sure. All right. <clears throat> they wanted to know where he was staying. This is very interesting because when we think of a teacher or going to school, we think of you go to the classroom, you listen to the boring lecture, you take the quiz, you go home, and then you do it all over the next day. Uh, that's not how they did it. You moved in with your teacher. So what they were doing is saying, can we can we talk about maybe being your disciples? And uh, that involved a living situation. Now, this is interesting because... You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. There are all sorts of people who ridiculously say that, well, Petros means a little chip off the rock. A rock in Greek is Petra. And they're right. The the word rock in Greek is Petra. But when you turn rock into a name or an adjective in Greek or in Latin, you have to put a masculine ending on it or a feminine ending, depending on who you're calling that. the problem is moot because Peter is not called Petrus. It's called Cephas. He's called Cephas. That's that's who he is. So um, there you go. Uh, I think that's fascinating. Now, let's get back to the first reading because there's some... I want to jump into that a little more deeply. Yesterday, I talked in the word of the day about the word devil, diabolos, which is from Two Greek well, it's from the Greek word "balo," which means "I throw," and "dia" is a is a is an intensifier. It is uh, a preposition and a prefix. Greek and English share this in common. Uh, we get it from the German. You know, this is a kind of Indo-European thing. When a preposition is used from a prefix, it does very odd things to the verb. Now, let me explain we all know what to stand means you stand i mean you stand yes you stand when you sing the pledge of allegiance that sort of thing under we all know what under is it's under the table it's under the bridge it's under the desk under it's about position you combine the two understand huh and that means to to what's uh, it uh, what's a, what's a uh, Another word for understand to to, uh, to 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 comprehend. That's a thank you voice in my head. To comprehend, to to uh, have a thorough working knowledge of. You know, I suppose people would say, "I'm here under the bridge. I'm understanding the bridge. I'm standing out of the bridge." It, you see what I mean? It, it does odd things. So dia in Greek means. Isn't this fascinating stuff? I just think it's so much fun. Oh. Uh, of course, then, You're getting yes. There will be there will be a short quiz at the end of the program. Yeah, the the um, uh, dia is kind of like that. It's an intensifier, and dia balo, uh means like diameter. We get that word is from dia and meter, measure. So it means a thorough measure. You measure all the way across. You measure right through. Uh, what's another dia word that I can? Dialysis. Uh, lysis is a breaking down, and dia is a thorough breaking down. Uh, so you completely dissolve uh, harmful chemicals in the blood when you undergo dialysis. Uh, what's what's another good one? Oh, the, you got the point. I don't have to belabor it too much more. So dia balo means I throw thoroughly. Have you ever said I can't understand what the, he just did. I, it just threw me. It is. It is. Uh, um, it implies dishonesty. Uh, it implies to slander, to lie about someone. But it can really mean to to confuse, to confuse the situation. So the devil is the slanderer. He is the uh, the the uh, the liar. He is the confuser. Let's look at understanding this title of Satan. Let us look at this. The person who acts in righteousness is righteous. Well, that seems like a tautology. No, he's saying righteousness has to do with what you do. Again, I I struggled with the word righteousness for years, but I have come to the conclusion that it means to be godly, that that. God is righteous. And those qualities of God are righteousness. To the degree that we imitate God, we are righteous. And Jesus is the very image of the Father. If you want to know how to be righteous, look at him. Um, One of my favorite texts in Scripture about righteousness is when it said, Joseph being a, uh," this is literally what the text says Joseph being a righteous man did not want to make an example of Mary. That's the word that's used. Uh, It doesn't mention the law, but to make an example. In other words, in that case, he wanted to to, to let her off easy. Um, And uh, I've heard all sorts of people try to explain it away, but no, Joseph was very confused by this. At least I think that's what the the scriptures are saying. So uh, he was a righteous man. So righteousness... The imitation of God is not just following the rules. Righteousness has to do with mercy as well as justice. That There's a fairness about it, yet there's a mercy about it and a generosity. God is generous. God is merciful. God, however, is truthful. He is truth. And he's not going to say that well, your sin isn't a sin. But when you admit that you're sinning, he says, no, let's work on it. So in God, justice and mercy are brought together. That's the person, and, and I've shared the St. Thomas's definition of love at least a thousand times. To love is to will the good of another. That doesn't mean I'm sitting here saying, oh, you poor baby, I hope it goes all right for you. No, you do something. The person who acts in righteousness is righteous, not the person who sits there having a good attitude. Righteousness is something that you do, not something simply that you feel or not simply a forensic uh, uh, um, judgment. It it it's, it has to do with with your actions, and I think that's important. You know, I should have. Okay, I am going to get rasped for this, but I should have looked it up. Okay, yeah, there it is. It, there. Okay, you guy, I got it now. I got it. Okay, <laughs> oh, it's a race to the finish. Uh, the the, 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 the the one doing—it's—it's—it's it's, it's the means to make or to do, the one doing righteousness, making righteousness, causing righteousness. So it isn't just about your attitude or my my heart's in the right place. The rest of me, who knows where that is? Um, no, you got more than your heart's got to be in the right place. Your actions have to be in the right place. I think it's a very important dimension of this text. Okay, the devil has sinned from the beginning. And so, whoever sins belongs to the devil. Now, again, these texts are are uh, 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 these texts are, are the present tense, which in Greek uh, is is a it's different than in English. Whoever does sin is from the devil. That's what the text says. But the word here, the one doing sin, it's a present participle, so it implies. Uh, a persistent and repetitive action. You know, if you if you fall and, well, you get up and go to confession and start over again, that's okay. God's still, God's still working in your life. But if you say, I don't need to go to confession, you know, this isn't a sin. I know God says it's a sin in the Bible, but that's just an interpretation, that kind of thing. I, I think that's kind of interesting. All right, let's move along here. Let me find where I put the reading itself. Um. <clears throat> See what love the Father has bestowed on us that we may be called children of God. And we are God's children now, but what we shall be has not yet been revealed. This is a tough thing for most people. That that I want to know exactly what it's like. I want to know what, what, what's heaven going to be like. What's hell going to be like? What's purgatory going to be like? I don't know. I've never been there. Um, it's going to be great. Heaven's going to be great. Purgatory is not going to be so nice. And hell is really not going to be nice. Um, you know, we love to have these things defined and described precisely. And then when they're described in a way that's different from the the illustrations we saw in our children's Bible when we were four, we somehow get upset about that. We don't know what we shall be, but we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We can't describe God. The closest we can come is to say that Jesus is the very image of the of the invisible father he's the visible image of the invisible father you want to know what God is like look at Jesus you want to know what heaven is like look at Jesus you want to know what the church is like I would say look at his Blessed Mother but him too so you know that the, our journey in this world is a journey of trust and I want to know exactly what it's like Lord I want to know the dimensions of my palace on the street of gold and you know, uh, the furnishings, and uh, what will we do? (laughs) When I was a kid, we would ask the nun, will there be television in heaven? Oh, better than television. (laughs) There'll be the final judgment. So moving along, Uh, this idea of of the devil being the causer of chaos, you can't count on what he says because it's a lie. It's a really good lie that sometimes has elements of truth but it causes chaos. Logos is the opposite of chaos. Logos is reason and order. It doesn't mean a word, the grammatical unit of speech. It means, it really means the heart and soul of, of something that is reasonable. Uh, it can it can mean reason. Uh, it's, it's a big word in Greek. The opposite of Logos is chaos. And the devil is the causer of chaos because he's a liar. So uh, everyone who commits sin, everyone who persists in doing the wrong thing, well, they're on, that's dishonest. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I find so much in, in our current climate as dishonest. It's just fascinating to listen to the arguments of people about about things woke. You know, well, I, I'm i a girl. Well, you sure look like a boy. You act like a boy. You were born with a Y chromosome, but you say you're a girl. Why are you a girl? Because I want to be a girl. Well, I want to fly to the moon. That's different. It's my body. I can say what it is. It's totally chaotic. Totally chaotic. It's, it's the opposite of reason. It's the opposite of logos. To say I have a gender dysphoria, well, that's that's reasonable. It may be true, but to deny nature itself is chaos, the opposite of logos, and it's dishonest. It's unreasonable and dishonest. So, just some thoughts on that. All right, shall we uh, take a break, and I'll come back with letters. And you can call in at 888 914 9149. 888 914 9149. Are we still on the air, dear voice in my head? Oh, good. We're still on the air. We'll be back, I hope. Father Simon says, Neener, neener, to those people who keep trying to say that Jesus didn't make Peter the Rock. On relevant radio. Neener, neener is the technical term, isn't it? Network sponsor Time Bank can make remote account opening easy no matter where you are in the country. They offer mobile and online banking and knowledgeable bankers that answer the phone. More information at Time.bank. That's Time.bank Member FDIC. Come gather around people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched. To the bone. If your time to you is worth saving, then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone. Or the times we are changing. i have not heard that song in a while. Good old Bob Dylan. <laughs> I remember hearing a spoof on Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan sings the songs of his uh, of his uh, Minnesota home, so they do. Roll out the barrels and we'll have a barrel of fun. It's really Never mind. But, yeah, the times, uh, they are changing. And uh, it's very confusing. You know, my era is, is you know, all us 70, 80-year-old hippies. Uh, my era is fighting back as as it begins to sink. And I got a letter from, from Ollie um, about uh, this is a, an ad. um from the Methodist Church in Great Britain, and um, uh, it's about the inclusivity of, of British Methodism. And John Wesley would would plots, which means to fall over, but it's interesting. God loves you unconditionally, Amen. No strings attached. Well, I don't know. If I'm going to give a hearty Amen to that. God loves you unconditionally. That is true. Well let's define love again with Saint Thomas. I'm gonna just drum on this until you repeat it in your sleep. To love is to will the good of another. So let's take the word love out. God wills your good unconditionally. <laughs> I oh God wills my good and occasionally sends a prophet or a preacher to slap me upside the head and say you're 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 ruining your life. Don't do it. To God loves you. In other words, God wills your good unconditionally, even if you don't. When I hear God loves me unconditionally, that means I don't have to change. God does just, you know, God, he's not going to, that wonderful song, Just As I Am Without One Plea. It's a beautiful song, but if you don't respond to the grace of God, God says, okay, you want that? You get that. God Will's your good. And is you think your good is being in that relationship? You think your good is, is having that practice? You think, uh, having that vice is, is for your good? You think that the embezzling at work is for your good? They're not. You see. What's good for you is repentance. So I, I, so Ali, thanks for that. I, I thought that was a very interesting thing. God loves you unconditionally. He certainly does. But let's define love the way that God defines it. All right. Let's go to more letters here. I got more letters. Okay. Let me go to the bottom of the barrel here to make sure I've got everything there. I think I got everything there. Okay. Click. Um, this is. Uh, Oh, this is kind of again. I, I don't like being political, and this is not political. Uh, this is from Francisco, who in Newark, who um, wanted to know what programs I had discussed the history of anti-Semitism on, and I have I haven't any idea, Francisco. But just briefly, um, Well, how to discuss this in a way that is reasonable. <sighs> We were thought of, we Christians were thought of as a Jewish sect until about 120, 130 A.D. the, uh, The temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Emperor Vespasian and his son Titus, who became the Emperor Titus. And at that point, the Christians had left, warned prophetically, the Christians who were genetically almost all Jewish, uh, ethnically almost all Jewish, some Greek converts among them, but they were Jewish at that point. Um, they left Jerusalem. It's, it's thought that essentially no Christians died in the siege of Jerusalem because they had all fled to uh, uh, cities across the Jordan or cities in Lebanon. I have friends who can trace their ancestry back to, to the refugees from Jerusalem 70 A.D., But Jerusalem didn't cease to be occupied by Jews at that point. When it really ceased to to be uh, um, uh, Jewish was when, uh, in the last of the Jewish wars, when uh, um, the Emperor Hadrian, uh, let me pull that up, when the Emperor Hadrian uh, responded to the Bar Kokhba rebellion. Bar Kokhba was a fellow named Kosiba who... uh, They called him Bar Kokhba, the son of the star, and I think it was the Rabbi Akiva who said that this is the Messiah. And you couldn't stay in the territory that these rebels had conquered without opting for the Messiahship of this guy, Bar Kokhba. And if you believe Jesus was the Messiah, you had to get out or face the consequences. And it was a very successful rebellion. They almost took Jerusalem, but then the Romans responded. It took the Romans a while to respond. They didn't keep large garrisons of troops in the Holy Land, but they did in Syria to the north when they got their troops down there. They wiped the floor with uh, the Jewish rebels and they completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem and forbade Jews from entering it. They rebuilt a new city, Alia Capitolina. Christians could go in it if they were Greek, but not Jews. That's where Christianity and Judaism diverged. Up to that point, there had been a great tension within the Jewish community, which included people we would call Christians. Because you see, there were certain privileges that were accorded to the Jews because the Romans just couldn't make them do otherwise. Uh, You you couldn't make a Jew work on Sabbath. Uh, They weren't going to do it. So you couldn't put them in the army. They weren't going to march, kill me. It's Sabbath. And, oh, they weren't that extreme. Believe me, Orthodox Jews to this day. I have personally known Jews who would rather die than violate Sabbath. And Rabbi Lefka came very close to it. Uh, um, He checked himself out of a hospital so he could be home for Sabbath. And he left the hospital with tubes trailing behind him. Uh, Valiant man for his faith. I, I so respected him. Well... That was the point at which Christianity and Judaism really diverged. And for the 1,000 years, almost 1,000 years after that, the attitude of Jews to Christians was crystallized by St. Augustine, who said, the Jews exist to this day, those who have not accepted Christ, so that we can see how miserable life is without Christ. So you mustn't hurt them, you mustn't touch their businesses, hurt their persons, leave them in peace, because they have an important... uh, symbolic value to us as Christians, in that they teach us how miserable you can be without Christ. That was, you know, and Jews were very useful because when when the Islamic uh, uh, takeover of the Middle East happened, because Jews could go between the Christian world and the Islamic world. And and they became very proficient at, at certain businesses that were necessary. Modern anti-Semitism didn't happen until about the year 1000, one, well, even a little later than that, um, in the First Crusade, that there were some just sick people, some real fanatics in the Rhine Valley, who basically said, why do we have to go to the Middle East? The enemies of Christ are here. And that's where the pogroms started. Um, that is a thumbnail sketch of the history of anti-Semitism. And... Um, one of the problems, is, well, uh, I always talk about Dr. Rodney Stark in his great book, The Rise of Christianity. He points out that the first, for the first centuries, ethnically, uh, a large number of Jews became Christians, that they weren't a separate group. People say, well, why didn't the Jews accept Jesus? Dr. Starks, who was a sociologist, uh, sociology of religion, very, very scholarly man, um, his books are wonderful, Rodney Stark. S t s t a r k. Uh, he points out that ethnically, <laughs> the Jews, the, the first Christians were Jews. That there were, uh, at the time of Christ, at least seven million Jews in the in the empire and in the Persian or the uh, yeah, the Persian Empire and in the Holy Land, uh, the Roman Empire. 100, 150, 200 years after that, there were less than a million. What happened? Well, some died in plagues, some died in wars, but the great bulk of them probably became believers in Jesus as the Messiah, joined the church in the first few centuries before the legal, uh, before Christianity was given legal status in the Roman Empire. They joined the church and blended in with the Greek-speaking population. So, you know, that that, uh, we, we, didn't think of ourselves as a new religion. When we got started, we were the fulfillment of the religion of Israel. That's what we thought. And that's what we are. And I always point out, you'll find the new covenant in, in the Bible. You'll find the new Jerusalem in the the Bible. You'll find the new man in the Bible, but you will not find the phrase, the new Israel. I've never seen it in the scriptures. There is no new Israel. There's just Israel into which Gentiles like me have been grafted. Um, uh, so, at any rate, I, that's the thumbnail sketch of, of uh, the history of anti-Semitism. And it's a very real thing. Jews have persisted. The Jews who did not accept Christ, uh, they defined themselves, in a sense, in Europe by not accepting Christ. And when when the political unit became the same as the religious unit, there's a saying, Christendom is Europe, Europe is Christendom. Well, to not be part of the church was to not be part of the society. And it wasn't designed that way originally. We were outcasts um, for the first three centuries of our existence. Um, And still we are once again outcasts in so many places. Uh, But when the state becomes Christian, those who refuse to become Christian become enemies of the state. So anti-Semitism... I think is a political reality even more than it's a religious reality. I uh, I think that it's I think it's crazy to dislike someone because of their ethnicity. Well, that's nuts. Uh, ethnicity is a gift God gives us to share with other people. All right, on to another letter. I I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but those are just some thoughts on it. All right, let me press that button and then go to this button. Okay. Um, this is uh, I I think I I don't know if I was on the air when I talked about this but uh in the reading for Our Lady of Guadalupe uh the angel appears to the blessed mother and uses the word behold twice in Greek that's idou it means look look and and the idea is what does behold mean b Be is another one of those intensifying prefixes and uh uh to 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 be bewildered means to be thoroughly confused. To be besmirched means to be thoroughly smirched, <laughs> smirched yes, smirched. So, uh, um, behold means to fix something intensely your intention. And these are this is uh, from uh, 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 Sarah from from Minneapolis, uh from Sarah from Minnesota. Uh, those are the same words; they have the same meaning. What what the angel is saying uh, to. To the blessed mother is look, this is going to be miraculous. This your your pregnancy, or your, your being with child, and then further on down the passage, uh, I think it's Luke the second chapter. Uh, look, Elizabeth, your kinswoman is conceived. This is a miracle too. She's both of those things that she's beholding. In other words, fixing her attention on are miracles. And that's what the angel's saying. So it's the same word used in the same context, I think. That said, we're going to take a break. I will come back with the word of the day. And uh, the phones are open at 888 914 9149. 888 914 9149. We'll be right back. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. with Christ. And where Christ is present, lives are changed. If you just say, I want Jesus, but I don't want my life changed. <laughs> it's a wonderful old song about the carpenter. I want him to fix a wall. And he comes in and says, it um, isn't the wall that's the problem. It's the whole building. It's going to take a lot of work. Well, you're just saying that because you want money. No, your building's falling down. You let the carpenter in, and he's going to start fixing things until the job is done. And if you stop him, well, guess what? The house is going to fall in. At any rate, let us go to... uh, Where were we going to? We're going to letters. That's where we're going. Oh, boy. But we did letters. Now, word of the day. Yes, word of the day. Oh, dear. Okay. In the gospel, we see a couple times, um, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. And then further on, we... He so said, we have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Well, that's interesting. Why? Well, the word, I, I love, I guess I just really love the word for, for translated. It's, uh, oh, where did I put it? It's, it's I, I have to look at it to say it. Methemnuomenon, that's the Greek word for being translated. Methemnuomenon. That's kind of interesting. What's going on here? Why are they translating these Jewish words? To Greek, well, I have the theory that um, the Gospel of John is written to the disciples of John the Baptist to make the point that Jesus is the Messiah and John the Baptist isn't. John the Baptist said, I'm not the Messiah, Jesus is. Well, wouldn't all those people have known Greek? Yes, probably, but some might not have. But, you know, John's Gospel is interesting. It's the most beautifully constructed of the gospels, and the tradition is that it was kind of written later. I mean, within the, before I believe the Gospel of John was written before 70 A.D. But it probably, I think, it's reasonable to think it was the last of the gospels written, and it's beautifully constructed. It's constructed around water. I think it's fascinating that there's so much mention of water, and that would make sense with these. Uh, 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 with these uh, people who practiced uh, frequent ritual baptism. But the gospel of John, I suspect was, I really believe it was John, but there were people who he probably used as secretaries. That was not uncommon in the ancient world. Julius Caesar was amazing because in a moving vehicle, which was pretty bumpy, he could dictate five letters at once to five different secretaries. He would start with letter one, then move to letter two, letter three, and while they're writing, he'd come around to letter one again. He never lost track of the letters. But he dictated, we see St. Paul seems to have dictated his letters. And I would not be at all surprised if the disciples of St. John, who are often mentioned in Christian tradition, uh, the disciples of St. John the Evangelist, uh, that they might have been the ones writing down what he was saying and uh, editing this for him. And uh, since it was going to be read not just by uh, people who knew Aramaic, but people who also knew Greek, they might have stuck in a translation. I don't think that that detracts at all from the Joannine authorship of the gospel. But I think it's kind of interesting that that um, uh, this is an indication that the church is, is going to, is really flourishing in the Greek-speaking world at this time. Ah, I don't know. I find it interesting. All right, let's go to uh, phones. Ahoy! Shelly from Lake Jackson, Texas. What can I do for you? Good afternoon, Father. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, Yes. I was calling to ask, um, I wanted to do the first nine Fridays devotion to the Sacred Heart, but... I'm wondering if I cannot receive communion at that time and I didn't go to confession prior to it, is it okay to go to confession on Saturday and and receive on Sunday or does it have to be specifically that day? Well, I think, I think, first of all, remember that, that, um, good grief. You know, I, I, I hesitate to say, oh yeah, you can make that late because this, the the purpose of the devotion is to remind us of the sufferings of Christ on friday so i would mm-hmm. say plan it at a time when you can make sure that that you're you're fulfilling that normally i would say oh sure but uh if it's a matter of 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 fulfilling the 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 devotion you really have to do it as it says so i would say no you probably should go to to uh communion on on the friday and the first friday so that's just my opinion you know i I would ask other people who are smarter and and uh uh more immersed in it than i am but that would be what i think so anyway shelly i i wish i could give you better news but i think the devotion is about first friday um the the uh uh, and, and i think that probably you need to to stick to it hope that helps a little let's go to victoria from california are you with us victoria hi father yes i am here what can i do for you father my question for you is regarding hagar and ishmael when abraham sent hagar away with ishmael into wilderness and hagar turned the back on the child because she did not want to see him die. Was she speaking to God in that moment? And the next question is, um, was Hagar a woman of faith? And did she change her ways after God saved her and Ishmael when he heard Ishmael crying? Well, there's really no way to, God makes a promise to Ishmael uh, and, and. Uh you know that that uh, i'd have to look at the story a little more closely but i don't think you could talk about saving faith with 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 uh, hagar uh, it's before the cross of christ abraham had a saving faith uh but that was an exceptional thing for abraham i think uh, that that the offer of salvation seems to have been made uh only after the the death of christ uh on the cross uh, so I, I don't know that we can say that Hagar had saving faith. And the scripture really doesn't talk about that with Hagar. Uh, so I, I, I couldn't say yes. <laughs> Another thing to which I can't say yes, that's unusual. But um, I don't think there's enough information in the scripture to, to judge the state of Hagar's soul. Uh, God was good to her and good to Ishmael. But I don't know that it was because they had saving faith. I don't know if that's, I don't know if I'm right. Remember, take it with a grain of salt, Victoria. God bless, and thanks for listening. Let's go to Deacon George from, oh, you're welcome, from Lakeville, Minnesota. Deacon George, what can I do for you? Hi there, Father. Thank you for taking the call. I just had a quick question when you were talking about the word behold. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was wondering, was there any link with the word about behold, and also when we read uh, how Mary pondered these things or reflected on these things in her heart? Is there any link between the inward looking or the intense looking uh, between those two words, for, you know, commanding uh, someone to behold, or for reflecting no, the, the, within the there's heart? There's no linguistic relation. The word for for uh, 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 for treasuring is uh, sinetiri, which uh, really means uh, really it means to guard, to keep safe. She kept these things safe in her heart. Uh, uh, I think is is the implication is it is the word heart in here? Yeah, in her heart, and she 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 guarded them in her heart, and then she she it's the word simbalo, it's almost the opposite of diabalo. Uh, I was talking about uh, earlier. Uh, she threw them together in her heart. In other words, she 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 pondered them. She she guarded them in her heart and then she she threw them together you know she thought about these things repeatedly uh but there's no ling I think it's the same idea but there's no linguistic relationship between those two words does that answer your question I believe so yes and all right I was just wondering how if somehow that linked together well thanks Deacon and again I'm honored that you listen God bless let us oh, well, go to you. carol you're welcome let's go to carol in lexington kentucky hello are you hello yes hello hello, Hi, hello. what can i do for you carol yes <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> um i'm wondering pondering whether um jesus ate his own body and blood at the last supper well, it's interesting because it never says that he ate the Blessed Sacrament. He gave it to his okay. disciples and said, take this and eat. So I don't think right. so. He didn't need to eat. He was in communion with himself perfectly. Mm-hmm.
1: So I don't right. think so. And right.
0: the text the text says he gave it to them and said, take and eat. He didn't eat and then give to them. He said, take mm-hmm. and eat. I, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's the story. So there you go. Does that help, Carol? <laughs> All right. Yes, it does. All right. Thank you for confirming. All right, that. God, God bless, bless you, Carol. Bye. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye. John from Mountain View, California. Are you with us? Yes, I Father Michael. I mean Father Simon. No. <laughs> yeah, whichever five father, that's good enough. Yes. Hey, I know the I know the church has rejected the Gnostic, Gnostic Gospels, but do you know how the Gnostic Gospels define Jesus and why he was rejected? They pretty much define him as uh, a non physical, uh, a kind of a ethereal being. Uh, you know, they had the problem of if God is good, how can there be evil? That's a good question. But their answer was that God created these demiurges, and then they created lesser gods and lesser gods who would create angels, who created all the way down till you had a, a sort of God so distant from the real God that he created matter and matter is evil and the 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 one of these demiurges, uh, sort of the second level gods came to to save um this spark of divinity that was that was uh resonant in this corrupt matter and and uh uh he didn't he didn't really become matter for instance he he didn't leave footprints when he walked, or he didn't cast a shadow. He was he seemed to be man, but he wasn't really man. That's why Saint John, who dealt with these Gnostics, is saying anyone who says that the Messiah has not come in the flesh is antichrist. So they said that he was this this being, this celestial being, who came into the world, appeared to be in the flesh, but wasn't really in the flesh. He wasn't he wasn't uh, the creator of all things. He wasn't god from god he was this sort of second level second tier god does that answer your question well would they use words like archons and aeons would would that be a word that jesus was an aeon well those were not god those were those were kind of angelic beings or or right. uh, quasi divine beings uh, you know what we believe is that the, there's only one god and that God is is a Trinity of persons. That that the the oneness of God is a oneness not of solitude but of solidarity, and and that that Jesus is fully God and he had a fully human nature. They didn't believe that. So yeah, you know, Father, you know, uh, uh, this Gnosticism is all over the internet. Oh and, yeah, of course uh, it is. It, uh, yeah, yeah, Saint John warns us about it. it's demonic. He who doesn't believe that the Messiah came in the flesh is Antichrist, is Antichrist. And it's a very convenient religion because it doesn't matter what you do with your body because your soul is the pure part of you. So you can sleep around, you can do anything you want with your body. It doesn't matter. There are other versions of it that say, well, the only moral thing to do is to starve to death. But (laughs) that's not the most popular form of Gnosticism. So, yeah, it's, it's all over the place and it's nuts. And it always will be all over the place because it's demonic. There you go. Hope that helps a little, John. God bless. Thank you. Thanks for listening. All right. Let's go to Tony from L.A., California. Tony, what can I do for you? Yes, Padre, I have a friend that's uh, in a really bad spot. He's, he's got a gaping hole in his soul, and um, he's trying to fill it with the wrong things. And I'm um, waiting for his wife to call. Do I, do I have the right to baptize him? Uh, I do not believe he's baptized. You Just can baptize case. him only in danger of death. Okay. If he's in imminent danger of death, you can baptize him. If not, you got to urge him to take instruction in the faith. Because, you see, the word sacrament means oath to the death. And what you'd be doing is signing him up for an oath, the conditions of which he doesn't know, and his situation might become worse. Uh, now, in if there's imminent danger of death... That's not a problem because he's not going to live long in that covenant. He's not going to get the chance to uh, to break his covenant with the Lord. But if he if he is going to be living in the world, he needs to be instructed in the faith. So you should not baptize him. You should urge him to and and, and participate with you. you. Say, "I'll bring you and I'll do the classes with you." Come, find Christ. And you can pray with him. I would do that. I would certainly pray with him. And say, "Close your eyes. Let me say let me say a little prayer with you." That's the way you bring people to Christ. You don't you don't talk about Christ, you talk to Christ. If you can get someone to pray, that'll start the ball rolling. Saint Alphonsus uh, Liguri said he who prays is saved. And that's the idea that you talk not about Jesus, but you talk to him. You know, so close your eyes. I'm going to say a prayer for you. And you say, Lord, I ask you to touch my friend and to, to give him the healing he needs. You'll be amazed at how that, that will begin a process of conversion. But yeah, only baptize him if he's in imminent danger of death. Does that answer your question, Tony? Yeah, very well. And that's all. I've done that, what you said. And uh, I'm so glad I called you. And um, I appreciate that. Well, God bless. Keep, 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 uh, uh, keep on him, though. I mean, Keep praying with him. I mean, that's so powerful. Anybody, what is evangelism? It isn't talking about Christ. It's talking to Christ. If you can get a person to talk to Christ, then uh, uh, that that will change everything. So there we go. All right. Well, oh, I see someone who disagrees with me. Call tomorrow. We can disagree tomorrow. <laughs> All right. God bless. And oh, speaking of agreeable people, Drew is coming up. And he is very agreeable. Really nice guy.